overall, good news, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> Stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We've actually been traded to another podcast, uh, as it seems to be everything that's happening at the moment is just trades, trades, trades. So, hey, we got Connor here, we've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in Cork? Uh, yeah, not so bad. I ran for a very long period of time uh, on Sunday. I was going to say, uh, congrats, Sean. You completed his, uh, the Trilly Half Marathon. Two hours, 39 minutes, which is. Nice. Not a great time, but finishing it is the most important bit. Yeah. Uh, I was not last, which is which is an important thing. Mm. Uh, no, it was interesting. I mean, the last five kilometers were pretty hellish. There's yeah. like this secret hill that they didn't tell us about near the end, which was <laughs> a bit of a bastard. Um, and Sunday and Monday were, were quite recovery tough, but I'm, I think I'm okay now, actually. I think I'm mm. well, I could... bouncing back. I can sense that addiction to the endorphins coming through. So is it uh, back out there? Are you, soon, you know? are you booking in for your next one then? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I'll do another one that long, um, but I might keep the running up for shorter distances than that. Yeah, it's yeah. just not enjoyable at all. Like on on any metric. I find that going. when I did halves, I just like yeah, I, I I could never get to that like oh isn't this mid? like you kind of I think ten kilometers is about the level where you can be like this is yeah, nice yeah. and you can turn your brain off a bit, but it's also like you know. I'm not going away for two hours to do it. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. But no, congratulations, very well done. And I got to meet your lovely new doggy, Molly, who's uh, very cute, uh, very fun. But uh, yeah. thought it yourself, Fitz. You were uh, no, you saw the last week you were in cabin. You were down in Cork this weekend, weren't you? Yeah, yeah I didn't do anything uh, active like Sean. Uh, so nothing uh, celebrate for me but uh, yeah I've just I was out and about a little bit in the jazz it was very busy so I didn't end up spending too much time there and I uh, yes very non-Irish initiatives what he means by it the jazz is uh, there's the jazz festival down in Cork uh, where the guys are, are based you don't you don't explain Cork things that's not how Cork works <laughs> these, these yanks don't know what the jazz is all about most people in Ireland don't know, don't know what's happening in Cork at any given time that's how they like it down here yeah. uh, also managed to catch the uh, the new uh, McDonough film, Banshee, the Sharon. Excellent, what do you reckon? It's a good film. It kind of starts off kind of fun, almost like uh, kind of Irish comedy type of thing. And then by the end, it's going to get pretty grim, to be honest. Yeah. And if you're a big fan of animal, like if you don't like animals, things happening to animals, I probably wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but good film, good film. I'm intrigued now. No, I'm looking forward to seeing that myself. Yeah, nothing, nothing too wild. Or crazy here on this end. I've got a couple of bits coming up the next little while. Um, so we've got a, a friend of ours got engaged with an engagement party. There's uh, going to go and see Kevin Bridges on Friday, and uh, obviously it was down down in Trilly cheering on Sean and my wife uh, who were doing the the half marathon. It was a very exciting weekend all round. But uh, then we came back to the real world and came back to an absolute flood of trades. It seems that this is the year that teams have decided to go back to trading with each other. Uh, pretty hardcore including trading with each other inside divisions and things like that which are kind of surprising really when you think about it but I suppose we'll crack into it because there's quite a lot to get through here so we'll start off uh, the top Miami trade a 2023 first and a 2024 fourth and Chase Edmonds for edge rusher Bradley Chubb and a 2025 
fifth round pick from Denver. Uh, they then traded a fifth for Jeff Wilson from San Francisco. And then Denver traded a fourth for Jacob Martin and a fifth from the New York Jets. So essentially, Miami add a big edge rusher to help them on the defense. Uh, they lose a running back on doing that so they pick up Jeff Wilson and then Denver pick up a kind of a depth piece in Jacob Martin to kind of reshore up their their line this this seems like one that all round has made all of the teams a little bit better off right like obviously Denver would like to keep Bradley Chubb but he has had a bit of injury bug issues they've got a lot of players at that position already it might just be surplus to requirements because it was either ship him out or give him a long-term deal uh whereas this like helps holes in the Miami defense like you know the the 49ers always have spare running backs running around so like no big loss to them so what like what do we make of this one i think this is a positive all-round trade i think it's a statement of i think the dolphins in terms of it being a statement of intent that we are contenders now i think they're the big the big short-term winners out of it obviously chubb is is a, is a big upgrade and they they need something explosive on that side and i i, I even think that Jeff Wilson's probably an upgrade on Chase Edmonds, although it's you know marginal. Wilson's obviously a little bit injury prone, and we haven't really seen him yeah. as explosive best. But their their statement of tense: this is Miami going for it all. In terms of Denver, it kind of feels a little bit like a Loki. This season is a bit over, and maybe we're starting to rebuild now. We're trying to get some draft picks right. back that we lost in in chasing in getting Russ Wilson. It kind of feels like they're maybe checking out a little bit, and given the way their season is going, that's probably not a big um, surprise. Um, so, I mean, I would read it more as, as a Dolphins going big now, mm. Broncos being to think about next year. Um, in terms mean, of price, was just say, it does also mean that Miami have now shipped away all their first round picks, so they are effectively stuck with Tua. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is that this is basically a declaration of intent that Tua, what they've seen this year, is sufficient that they're going to build around them going forward. Now, they did have another first-round pick, but they lost that due to the uh, tampering, tampering yeah. against the Tom owner. Brady costed them. Yeah, basically, he's always fucking over other AFC teams uh, over yeah. the years. So. That'll teach him to never yeah, like, win in December. Yeah, and like, look, Chubb is a uh, talented player. He hasn't really lived up to the expectations he had in his first year in the league where he had 12 sacks and he played all 16 games. He hasn't finished an entire season since then, but he is very talented and in a team which is lacking pass rush like Miami and who obviously consider themselves to be major contenders in a stacked AFC, then this is the kind of arms race you need to get into if you want to compete with the Bills and the Chiefs and the yeah. and the Ravens and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think Denver, this kind of puts them in that weird in-between space, but I suppose with the Russell Wilson trade, they're kind of stuck with them, so you need to just kind of if you're going to have to rebuild, you need to start getting you know, resources yeah. to start doing that. The, the other thing that I always saw when I saw this is that's what Denver need is another running back in that room to complain about touches and fuck up the division. But uh, yeah, let's move on to the next one. Minnesota, this is an in-division trade. So they trade a 2023 second and 2024 third for tight end TJ Hawkinson from the Lions. In return, they're going to get a 2023 fourth and a conditional fourth uh, in the following year. This obviously comes after... well. We'll just flag it now. Their tight end, Irv Smith, has an ankle sprain. He's going to be out for eight to ten weeks. This is a, like, in the world of tight ends where there's, like, kind of a, ve a very small top, top tier, and then there's a couple of ones who are trying to push into it. TJ Hawkinson has had a very tasty year. I don't know why the Lions would be trading a piece like that to an in-division rival. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I suppose they need the picks, but, like, I I don't like this move for, for them at all. Um, I think this is a great pickup for Minnesota. Uh, but yeah, I, I, like, 
don't know why the Lions would do this. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you play strategy games, but sometimes in strategy games you have these ideas of favors that you can fall in. And I know in the draft this year, Minnesota went all the way down to 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 thirty second to allow Detroit to pick Jamison Williams for what seemed at the time very little. So maybe, you know, maybe it's not maybe something it's that bad, but certainly, yeah, certainly the relationship between the two GMs is probably positive enough and they're obviously very strongly in belief of whatever their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for TJ Hawkinson, a guy who was picked in the top 10 at the tight end to be traded for was effectively just two pick swaps. Um, is pretty unusual in my opinion. Um, obviously, Hawkinson hasn't quite lived up to you know, being a top 10 tight end, he's probably been a solid Pro Bowl level type tight end. Never really, he's just good at all aspects, but he's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a team like Minnesota, who obviously have so many other weapons, I think he will should be pretty productive. For Detroit, I don't know, they're just kind of in a weird space. And certainly it doesn't make me very enthusiastic for where that organization might be going over the next few months. No. Um, especially after firing their well, uh, defensive backs coach, Aubrey Pleasant. Things, things are a little bit off there, but ho- ho- hopefully things turn around there. I mean, they are one and six. I mean, their season is basically over, and it's clear that they have huge problems on the defensive side, and they have a young, exciting core on the offensive side that they're building around. I mean, my read and and from what the little bit I've read about it, it does seem to be a little maybe maybe about opening up cap space for the future and you know trying to trying to build forward. I mean, I I a lot of these picks, a lot of these trades seem to me to be teams trading long-term viability for short-term success and then the other side is that the other team is giving up short-term success in the name of long-term options that's what it feels like to me minnesota feel that they have a team that can compete now don't necessarily agree with that even with their 6-1 record whereas the lions even though they look exciting and fun and everything they have lost six games already this year and their season is basically yeah. over so i mean i'm not i'm not that surprised by my, it. My, my, my biggest is like one i think you Given you're probably looking to swap around at the quarterback position and stuff, having a decent tight end there is a good thing, particularly with a rookie coming in. And this kind of gathering up of picks, particularly on a two-year horizon, to me smells like a front office making plans for what they can attract a new coach with. with like this, this to me smells like Dan Campbell gone. Like, which I don't yeah, want to that, see. That, that's kind of what I was alluding to. There's just something about this that feels a little bit. And like, look, T.J. Hawkinson was drafted under the previous regime, but yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a little bit off, and I, I'm a bit worried about the Detroit organization. Yeah. Two big, uh, two contenders making moves for defensive pieces. So Baltimore traded a 2023 second round and a fifth round and linebacker AJ Klein to Chicago for Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith, obviously, top end linebacker, but was in disagreement with the with the team looking for money and extension or a trade from them uh quite vocally since the offseason baltimore think well do you know what he'll fit in nicely to our scheme and they do have a good eye for defensive talent philadelphia have traded a 2023 fourth round pick for robert quinn from chicago as well so chicago and uh, very bizarrely fire sailing the, uh, their defense and then we'll mention their offense in a minute um so the agreement on the Robert Quinn was they're getting him for effectively nothing, fourth round pick, and I think they only have to pay him like seven hundred thousand or something. But they have an agreement to waive the final two years of his contract, which means he's now going to be a free agent in the next off season. Which is that's the get for Quinn, I think, in this scenario. So Chicago kind of getting rid of some of their defensive pieces, but obviously looking to, to, to put together ammunition for building for the future. I think these are both nice pickups for Baltimore and Philly. This like I think Rokon Smith can be a formative piece for this defense moving forward in Baltimore and for Philly, this is exactly what they want to add rotational pieces in to kind of push them over the edge. They are one hundred percent all in on this season. Yeah, I think Baltimore team that historically kind of like having good safeties like having good linebackers and 
um, their experiments to get up to that level have necessarily worked out so they've brought in people like Marcus Williams in free agency they're now trading for Roquan Smith when guys uh, like uh, Patrick Queen haven't quite worked out as well as they would like so I think Roquan Smith he's a guy who has a lot of great production he's a guy who's been playing pretty well this year although some people argue he's maybe a bit too aggressive at certain points but he's been he's been a playmaker and I think obviously for a team that has the, the history of people like Ray Lewis um, who were obviously huge icons for the team it makes sense and you would expect Baltimore our team that can get the best out of a guy like Roquan Smith I think the big thing for them is like when they choose to, to re-up him basically um, do they wait until the offseason or do they get him done in season and just get that over and done with um, as for Philly like Robert Quinn I think like look they're just they have too, too much they're just, they just love depth on their offensive and defensive lines uh, they did have an injury along their defensive line edge rusher so Robert Quinn seems like a pretty good fill in there and like they're a team that's obviously every year they're all in they're doing stuff we know and the Harry Roseman just does what he wants, and they're not too worried about next year. Because the NFL, like I think he accurately assesses, is a, is a, is a year-to-year sport. Um, long-term rebuilds, like you see in, say, baseball or basketball, just don't work. So just keep doing, keep trading, keep moving, and uh, hopefully you stay ahead of the pack. Yeah. Uh, Chicago, then on the offensive side, traded a 2023 second-round pick for wide receiver Chase Claypool from Pittsburgh um, in, frankly, somewhat baffling scenarios. Now, obviously, look, for, for Pittsburgh... They are happy with what they're getting out of the rookie wide receiver. They're very good at bringing receivers on. This is a good return for them uh, on, on, on Claypool, particularly if they don't have him featured highly. Moving forward with the team, um, just just overall a bit of a weird one because I don't think I don't think Claypool is a difference maker in what they need in that offense in Chicago, but I suppose they know what they're angling at more than we are. And Jacksonville in a very unusual... I mean, it's very unusual because there's so much in this one. So they've traded for Calvin Ridley... Uh, so they've traded a 2023 fifth round and a conditional 2024 fourth round pick. The fourth is if Rod, Ridley is rostered in 2024, that it can move up to a third based on performance criteria. It can move up to a second if they get uh, a long-term extension done with them, which presumably is in some way quantified in the contract. And there's also some conditional elements in it of like, because in theory he could be restated this year as well. Um, but yeah, and then it's made even more weirdly that like, I think if I remember correctly, the game that he was caught betting on was to beat Jacksonville, uh, which is just kind of a fun little additional well, yeah. part to it. That, that happened to be the matchup in his uh, his escalator or whatever he had. He was like, it was looking at mul- a parlay, like looking at multiple games. Yeah, it happened to be that Atlanta were playing Jacksonville that week, and so, he included Atlanta in his bet, which was uh, uh, pretty dumb. But like, yeah. I for me, the big thing about this, and, and I, I suppose briefly mentioned that Kansas City last week traded a third and a sixth for Kadarius Tony from the Giants, is that there's like wide receiver talent is not making it to free agency. Like the biggest one in recent years, well, like Kenny Galdi or something like that. So teams are being forced to either draft these guys in the first and second round of the NFL draft, or they're having to make trades for these guys because, you know, when Jacksonville have to go out and like sign Christian Kirk for a very big contract, that gives you an idea of how, sparse it is and in the modern NFL you need to have these guys and especially if you have like a young quarterback we're seeing guys like Josh Allen we got Stefan Diggs take that step up we saw guys like Jalen Hurts this year getting AJ Brown taking that step up so teams are seeing that template and they're desperate to get on the bandwagon now is Chase Claypool worth a second after being picked second like three years ago and not really like he's been good but he's not been like he's a not superstar been touchdowns but it's, just, yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to extract Claypool from how terrible Ben Roethlisberger but has been as well I, I think 
I think, you know, given what they gave Justin Fields at start this year, they're kind of, and now that they finally got Justin Fields turned around by playing into his strengths, they're like, okay, maybe we should give him something, anything. And Chase Claypool was the available talent. I suppose, it, coincidentally, it probably took him away from Green Bay, so that's just like a, a positive externality. Yeah. Um, and I think Calvin Ridley is even that more an extreme. Like, you have Trevor Lawrence, and then will you pay this much for a lottery ticket to perhaps have Calvin Ridley for him next year, a guy who has in the past proven to be a franchise franchise wide receiver that's what yeah, they're going yeah. to pay and similar with Kansas City who's taking a guy who's played two good games uh, but maybe he can be get back to yeah. form in it, obviously in, in the Andy, in, in Andy Reid system the, the Claypool thing is do it now or you lose this guy to your rivals I mean it's very it's very strange for this trade to be being made at this point in the season but it definitely does feel like this was the the Packers are making a move we have to Obviously, this is a long term. This is the guy we want uh, Justin Fields to be throwing to, et cetera, et cetera. It's the the, the price is the big thing. It, it's it's a it's a Chicago second round, which means it's going to be somewhere in the mid thirties. <laughs> so it's effectively a low first round pick they're giving for him, um, which he's obviously not worth. But as Ronan said, the the wide receiver market is so screwed up that this is the best thing available but yeah. i do think their, their hand was forced so that's why they, they've moved now it is yeah like I, th- I, th- I think the thing that throws me on claypool versus like say tony and that is it like is that he's he, he's that year older like they don't actually maintain control they're gonna have to pay him money <laughs> relatively soon like the tony one for the chiefs i don't love it it surprised me a little bit i can see what they're going for skill set wise but he's not been able to like, string it together in the nfl but like the the value is that they've got him for two and a half years for like two million dollars like he doesn't cost yeah, very much chicago um, have infinite cap space so it's not really that it's big of a true, consideration. It's true. and like, i think it's interesting because if you contrast what's happening in the wide receiver market compared to the two running backs they were traded like james robinson last week for a fifth and buffalo trading a sixth and zach moss for naheem hines mm. like basically you're getting running backs for pretty much nothing but wide receivers are getting insane insane costs so it's yeah. interesting to see the uh, contrasting uh, desires and needs of these teams. Obviously, the Jets losing Brees Hall, James Robinson was probably needed because uh, the quarterback position may be a little bit of a yeah. problem. But we so I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just fly through the other ones. So obviously, Casey traded a third and a sixth for Kadarius Toney. Uh, they also then trade Rashad Fenton to Atlanta. Uh, they Buffalo have traded a conditional sixth and Zach Moss for Naeem Hines from Indianapolis because what they needed was a pass catching back. And they've traded the 2023 seven round pick for Dean Marlowe from Atlanta. New York Jets, as you mentioned, they uh, picked up James Robinson from Jacksonville for a conditional fifth, which I actually think is quite good value. Uh, Dallas have traded a 2023 sixth round pick for Jonathan Hankins, defensive tackle, and a 2024 seventh round pick from Las Vegas, which tells you roughly how much they were valuing him. And Pittsburgh have traded the conditional 2025 sixth round pick for William. Jackson the third and a contingent conditional seventh rounder from uh, Washington. So that's literally the least you can pay for a player. <laughs> it is. And honestly, I quite like that one. I like the idea of like Feckett will take a shot for essentially nothing on a cornerback who's just a bad scheme fit. Like he, the problem is he's old and he might not get there. But like Pittsburgh wanted them at the time, and sure, why not give it a shot now if it costs nothing? Um, also, Indianapolis have fired their offensive coordinator Marcus Brady, and I think you mentioned earlier there, Detroit fired uh, Aubrey Pleasant as their defensive backs coach. So those are the big kind of moves in the in the market. Uh, Controversy Kern, what are they doing? Uh, probably selling their fucking team finally <laughs> Forbes have reported that Washington owner Dan Snyder has hired Bank of America to start the process of selling the team identifying uh, who might be interested in it and all that kind of stuff there's been reports that a lot of his supporters and a lot of his kind of you know dossier file stuff is kind of falling to the wayside and that's why this is happening overall good news right 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> Happy days. Is there anything else you want to say to that other than good? Well, just to say that they're technically exploring their options right now, but where the way yeah, they they've not mu- formally put it up for sale, but this is a strong indicator. And the move music from the, uh, as you say, the executive level and ownership level of the NFL would be like certainly they'll be uh, encouraged to do so uh, as much as they can. If this if this was an episode of Hard Knocks, this is a cut that they would not be putting the sad music behind. <laughs> Um, so crime punishment what are they doing probably felonies Kansas City Chiefs edge rusher Frank Clarkson suspended two games under a personal conduct policy this relates to a 2021 incident where he was caught with a concealed firearm uh, fuck you the league every time the Chiefs start to pull something together random mid-season fucking suspensions again is it like this is from 2021 why is this being dropped in week 8 of the season similar with the with the uh, the, the the linebacker earlier two week two, two, two game suspension middle of the season like do this in the off season or do it next season stop dropping it in the middle of seasons like it's yes like nothing has happened the league and... nothing has happened in the last 8 weeks in relation to this, but now just randomly they go, okay, yeah, just two games now, fuck it. Like, I don't get it. They're spending the big bucks and the actual important investigations, like the one into Washington. And uh, yeah, uh, like, look, like it, it, it's def- it's a lot. Like, look, Frank Clark, he's a, he's a very talented player. He doesn't necessarily show up for every game. So I don't think this is like a huge loss necessarily no, um, no. in the middle of the season. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit weird, the timing of it. But I like, look, I don't want to say the Chiefs have a tendency to hire people who have a higher probability of being suspended or indeed going to jail, <laughs> given that Andy Reid's son just went to jail this week. But uh, yeah, like, look, you know, you get ups and you get downs and then suspended the downs of, of that yeah. uh, strategy. Oh, the thing is, I have no problem with him actually being suspended. I just like, just fucking pull the trigger at the start of the season or like figure this out. Don't be like, oh, it's week eight. I guess we'll just do it now when nothing has changed on this. Like, like it's hey, not like... You got, you got to have something to feel a victim about, Connor, because like, you're fucking... Like being a fan of the Chiefs these days is basically like being the Patriots like ten years ago, right? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Except we're not cunts. <laughs> Everyone's uh, always against you. Yeah, I, I can empathize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, injuries. Uh, so big, big kind of season-ending kind of level one. Cincinnati cornerback uh, Chidobi Awuze has done his ACL. He's gone for the season, and Jamar Chase has a hip injury, and he's gone for four to six weeks. Tampa Bay edge Shaq Barrett has done his Achilles, and he's gone for the season. And Indianapolis defensive end Tyquan Lewis has a patellar tendon injury, and he's gone for the season. Cincinnati's defense was a little bit out of sorts so far this year. This is not going to massively help it, is it? Uh... No. I mean, Awuzie is one of the best cornerbacks. That, I mean, he is probably the, the best cornerback that they have, and he's he's not elite elite, but he's definitely up there. He, yeah. he causes problems for every receiver. And this, yeah, the Bengals season has been puttering along. To lose Awuzie on the defense and to lose Jamar Chase for potentially six weeks on the offense, this is this is going to hurt big time. I mean, this this could really derail their season. Yeah. It means more Eli Apple. That can only mean good things, right? <laughs> oh, and yeah, like it's another I bite at the apple. <laughs> outside of a Burrow injury, it's hard to think of two players losing them would be as devastating for the this Cincinnati team. Maybe Trey Hendrickson, but like these are two guys who make both sides of that ball tick. And yeah, yeah, it definitely makes me downgrade the Bengals significantly where they were a week or two ago. Shaq Barrett's a big loss for Tampa Bay as well. He was a lot of their pressure in previous years. Now I don't think yeah. he was playing quite at the same level this year, was he? He, he, can, he tends to be flashes and he has good streaks and stuff like that. But mm. certainly for a team where I think they pulled like their second year edge rusher Joe Tryon for not really for schematic failures. Um, that means that, yeah, they're relying on guys like they don't have much depth in that defense. And certainly without Shaq Barrett, it's another step down 
Uh, but given how bad the defense is, I don't know. <laughs> like it'll be that noticeable, to be honest. No, no. Uh, other injuries around the league: wide receiver Rashad Bateman has injured his foot. He's gone for two to five weeks. Philadelphia defensive tackle Jordan Davis has an ankle injury. Three to six weeks. Miami offensive lineman Liam Eichenberg. MCL injury, short-term IR, so he's gone for a minimum of four games, but possibly more. Mark Ingram running back for New Orleans is an MCL injury. He's gone for three to four weeks. And Indianapolis running back Jonathan Taylor, ankle injury, is week to week, and I believe was announced this just there today that it's unlikely he's going to play this weekend again. So, um, yeah, so a couple of these are obviously... Sean Bateman's been doing a lot... Jonathan Taylor was kind of the hope for that uh, for that offense. Uh, particularly now they've uh, they've they've moved to um, I think we announced it last week. They've moved to the uh, to the backup uh, quarterback for the rest of the season. So you'd kind of want to have Jonathan Taylor in there to assist him uh, as they power through. And there's the Jordan Davis injury that you were mentioning that the uh, that the trade is going to help shore up. Uh, are any of these jumping out at either of you guys? I think they're all important players for their teams, but perhaps not the the engine of the team. Like Rashad Bateman, he had a good start to the season, but he's been injured for a while now and, and hasn't really lived up to that. Devin Duvenay has kind of taken over in terms of the wide receiver position. Um, although Mark Andrews is injured as well. Uh, he may or may not play this week. Um, so that, that's a probably a bigger consideration. Uh, Eichenberg's been solid for Miami at the defensive line. You never want to lose them, but like I'm sure they can survive. Jordan Davis has been moved into rotation for so definitely a loss, but I think they'll get him back for the stretch run and Philly's schedule is pretty light, to be honest. And then John and Taylor, yeah, look, he hasn't beat Jonathan Taylor this week. Maybe the ankle injury. The ankle injury's been there all year, so maybe getting some rest to actually get back to full health would be good for him. And Mark Ingram, like, they've moved over to Kamara full-time now, so Mark Ingram, not that much of a loss for New Orleans, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and on that lovely note, we'll move on. We'll have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have uh, NFC South clash Carolina at Atlanta, 34-37 to in overtime. That's right, guys. This one went to overtime. Uh, it was a utterly chaotic game with 34 fourth quarter points scored atlanta won thanks to carolina kicker missing two different game winning kicks uh just just shocking stuff altogether. uh pj walker looked like good in yardage but not in conversion so 337 touchdown and an interception uh although they were kind of using the running backs a good bit fashion bit as foreman goes for 118 three touchdowns uh mariota was about 300 three touchdowns and two interceptions so like the kind of classic uh like back in the day mariota game not so much the stuff we've seen recently because like effectively for the last couple of weeks they've just been playing him as if he's not a quarterback and this time they let him actually throw it a bit that'll be a big help to anyone who you know drafted kyle pitts in their fantasy team as he had nearly 100 yards so you know it was it was interesting it atlanta kind of changing up their game plan significantly in this one from how they've had success previously uh it's a bit of a heartbreaker for carolina after kind of looking a little bit better uh, and uh, as we said, taking this quite quite a good distance to just shit the bed on special teams is a bit heartbreaking for them. But I suppose at this point, what they're playing for is 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 draft picks in the future rather than necessarily pyrrhic victories over uh, competitors. Although, if I remember correctly, this ends up tying a load of teams in this division, doesn't it? No, unfortunately, that no, would only happen the other if way, Caroline yeah. had win. Yeah. Ah, right, right. Yeah, I knew there was a reason I was pulling for it. <laughs> But yeah, so um, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I, Carolina should have had this. Yeah, I think it speaks to the general lack of quality in the NFC South that this game is A, relevant, and B, that the Carolina Panthers almost won it. Because the <laughs> Falcons are 4-4 four and four now, and they're probably favorite. I would say they're probably now favorites to win the division, given where they're at. And they don't look good at all. 
their defense looks appalling. Um, and their offense is a very, you know, unreliable Marcus Mariota and, you know, Kyle Pitts when he turns up. It's, and that's what the best the NFC South is. I mean, it's, it's the thing is that the books are falling apart and yet still you're like, a bit of me is going, you know, they, all they got to do is put together three or four wins on a row and this division is over. So, uh, I mean, the Panthers are pretty terrible and we'd be talking, anytime the Panthers have come up this year we've been talking about how you know talent deficient that they are and even here that they almost got away with i mean they threw the game away i mean harsh call on dj moore for taking his helmet off etc etc but you know it's you know you you pay for you pay for the mistakes that you make in the nfl and the nfl is a, is a rules league i mean what's most interesting i think from the carolina sense is they seem to be full on pj walker now and he's he's pj walker you know he's you know, not a great thrower, but he seems to have a cannon for an arm. The it's like a sixty-yard throw to for the potential game-winning touchdown beautiful, to, beautiful to, to more at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, if this is what the Panthers are going to be, they're going to be fun, um, but not necessarily good. But the Falcons, I mean, the, the coaching seems to be making the most of what the Falcons have, but what they have is not an awful lot at all. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's it speaks to the quality of the NFC South. This is the game we talk about first because neither of these teams are good. And yet, one team is leading the division, and the other team at two and six is still pretty relevant. And had they won it, would have been tied for their division. So, uh, yeah, please, Bucks, get better because I don't want to see either of these teams in the playoffs. Uh, now, Cordero <laughs> Patterson has been designated to return off uh, to practice after his injured reserve stint following a knee scope today. So, hopefully, that'll help to kick up into gear the the the, the running or the running game for Atlanta a little bit more. Uh, but like Fitz, is is, is there? positives to be taken out of this because like it it was just chaos at the end like yeah like, like i kind of said last week about in the preview for this game that i kind of like the chaos of this day like it's like the nfc side has a certain chaos that i'm okay with and for most of this game i thought i was wrong like most of this game was pretty dull to be honest uh, there was a pick six at the end of the first half was probably the highlight of that half and atlanta looked comfortable enough carolina were we're get, we're they were okay, but then the like the fourth quarter of this game was just insane. Basically, it just went absolutely um, batshit insane. Where um, obviously Atlanta had a, a bit of a lead, they gave that up, um, and then it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then obviously like to be in that situation where Atlanta get the touchdown, they go up 31-28, and then they stop Carolina on downs, and then they get it, they they chip in another field goal on top. Like basically, there's no way Carolina should have got that last touchdown. They had like 36 seconds left, but yeah, PJ Walker just hoofs it 62 yeah. yards down. Well, yeah, and they so just like, like they, they had no timeouts. It was like 36, and they did it with like 20 seconds to spare. <laughs> like it was yeah. something insane. Like yeah, like it's just I think it's the longest in terms of air yards pass of the season. It was just like a, a ridiculous <laughs> hail mary type play, and like it was it was fun and it was dumb, and like both these teams are kind of stupid, but like at least Carolina. I, I feel like now, like now that they're not shackled by, we have to get CMC the ball. Because um, we talked about him being treated like Derrick Henry early in the season. Now that they just have Dante Foreman, who's been a backup for Derrick Henry and just looks like a, a poor man's Derrick Henry. And they're getting DJ Moore involved more. Is PJ Walker getting more comfortable in the system? And they're actually throwing it downfield. Like, it's not good, but at least it's watchable. And yeah. given where they were a month ago, I'll take that. And... Yes, that means, like, I don't think anyone's going to be asking for Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold back here. And that's enough for me to go, okay, Carolina, 
that's enough. That, that's enough for me not to hate you anymore. And for the Falcons, like, like they're fa- like they're 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 kind of dumb. Arthur Smith just has a really weird football team right now. Mariota passed the ball in this game. Obviously, he was kind of up and down considering he had three touchdowns but also two interceptions. But you know, they still ran the ball a lot, and that is pretty entertaining, I suppose. I mean, yeah, if they get a bit more mixed in, Kyle Pitts, Demir Bird, uh, Drew London, and just get an element going, then I won't hate them either. So like, I'm not really on the Sean thing where I would hate the season playoff because we know what would happen. They get kicked out of it pretty quickly by one of the better teams in the NFC, although there aren't that many of them either. Uh, and for me, the Bucks are actually more annoying because they're depressing and they should be good. Whereas these two teams, they, they look like at least they don't now feel like they're trying to max what they have and they're giving it a good shot of it. And, you know, in this case, they gave us a very entertaining and given what they have at their disposal, I'm, I'm happy enough to get to let them away with, let them away with it. Yeah. Next up, Arizona, Minnesota, 26 to 34. Uh, Arizona were just unable to take advantage of essentially a, a Minnesota Vikings team that was kind of getting in its own way. They had a fumble, they had missed kicks, they had turnovers on downs. Like, Kyler was happy to see DeAndre Hopkins back, we'll say. He went over 350 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. Like, Hop was nearly half of his yardage uh, and a touchdown in that one. Um, but like we said, it was a very sloppy game. Like, there was sacks, there was botched snaps. There was everything on this of... Pretty much like what we complain about from this Arizona team that like they don't seem particularly well coached. They don't seem to always know what they're doing. They're a little bit too improvisational. Um, on the other side of the thing, like, you know, Kirk Cousins had a very Kirk Cousins day apart from not racking up a shitload of, uh, of, of, of garbage time yards. So 232 yards and two touchdowns. Cook went for 110 and a touchdown. Jefferson went for about 100. And that's about it. Like, it's just a couple of big splash pays and that kept it kept it going, you know? Um, Arizona, should they have been in this game is a question to ask. Like, the reason that they were kind of in it, I think, was more minnesota mistakes than it was arizona playing exceptionally well or, or doing anything particularly brilliant um but they they do still have that energy about them and like, i i would have thought deandre hopkins coming back that you know he's a year older he's coming off a couple of injuries and stuff that maybe he won't be quite as explosive but he does seem to still get that connection with kyler for a couple of the big plays so like there there is still something in the dna of this arizona team that feels like they can kind of surprise you and chaotically turn up something big this didn't feel like it was that kind of thing that was keeping them close i think this felt more like minnesota getting a bad game out of the way which is a good sign for minnesota because years previously this is exactly how i would have expected them to shite away a game that they should have won yeah i think that's the difference like both these teams i think if you if you zoom all the way down at the molecular level they're both chaotic it just happens to be arizona right now is involved in more games where that becomes obvious like Arizona you know we're involved in a game here where for long stretches they were just bad um, but they had one thing that worked on offense which was Kyler Murray to the Andre Hopkins like over 160 nearly 160 yards that's two games in a row where Kyler Murray now looks like Kyler Murray again because he has his favorite boy he has this guy who can just throw the ball at no matter how covered he is like the touchdown in particular stands out where Kyle, like Andre Hopkins was completely caught but he's just Superman, like his stretch Armstrong arm just hopped out and just caught the ball. And Kyler Murray looks like a genius because he trusted his guy. Um, but like, like, you know, 
despite all of that and despite being in this game towards the end, they were just so sloppy. Like the final drive ends with a series of sacks because they didn't seem to have a plan for what they're doing. Presumably DeAndre Hopkins was double covered or triple covered or whatever like that. Like he's like Calvin Johnson back in the day. But I think even worse than that was like a situation, I think the drive before that, where there was just a botched snap where Kyler Murray, it was a, it was a key like game dependent situation where it just hit off Kyler Murray and it just didn't look like they had been prepared for what was happening around them and so in the end just all folds apart because they they just don't have a consistent plan they don't have control Kyler just doesn't look like a guy who has that uh, you know Peyton Manning Tom Brady control of what he's doing he's just reacting doing what he is and he's so talented sometimes it works but it's not it's not sustainable whereas in Minnesota like look they're they're still making fuck ups. They're missing kicks. They're 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 fumbling the ball. But their core trio of Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, and Jefferson is working well enough, and the defense is working okay enough that it kind of builds up and it does enough. And there's been a series of games with Minnesota where you know they've made mistakes and they still got the win. So I think, as you said, that's a positive. But underneath the hood, there's still something about this team that you know like isn't quite convincing yet. Uh, like I, I, this is a team I actually do want to, to like because they have that talented trio there. There are things to like about it. I think the coach, Kevin O'Connell, is doing a good job, but deep down, they're still the Minnesota Vikings and it, you always feel like at any given game it could all collapse very spectacularly. But look, they got the win here. They did enough and I think they, they might have an extra gear if they needed to in this game. But I think a team like Arizona, which was flailing around for long for the game, they could have taken this game mid an easy win. It just doesn't seem to be in their nature right now. Yeah, this this is my too is that that underneath the record not an awful lot has changed for the vikings i mean i remember last year they they started something like two and five and people were talking but they're not a two and five team they're better than that and they were covered this feels like the inverse of that this feels like variance on the other way they're they're running good instead of running bad i mean i think they're more exciting than last year because people like jefferson have have developed and they do have a lot of talent in the skill position but they're not necessarily a better team um, they, they they can do exciting things and, and they can they can turn up, but there's still these same old questions that we we've, we've always had about the Vikings is is Kirk Cousins good enough to do it on the biggest stage? I mean, we can talk about his, his kind of garbage time yardage, but there's also I've been looked I read some advanced stats which talks about him being maybe one of the most conservative passers in in the league. Is in he doesn't tend to he he tends to be. He's, He's turning into an Alex Smith type checkdown guy who doesn't throw over 15 yards unless he has to, which is not what this team needs at all. They need someone who's willing to push things forward. And the defense, I mean, a lot of questions have to be asked about how good this defense actually is, given that they seem to be completely unable to deal with the Arizona chaos at times. It's quite an aging, especially, it's kind of an aging uh, defense in terms of their the star power. So you'd, you'd wonder about about that so it, it would feel like the vikings are six and one they're probably going to win the division because everyone else in that division is garbage or has fallen apart and yet the questions remain is that is this team going to collapse against the first good team they meet in the playoffs and i'm still not convinced that we've actually gotten that they've taken that step forward that they've taken that evolution um, beyond the mike zimmer era because it feels to me that this is this is the same old vikings that we've always had and in terms of cardinals i i, I don't really have an awful lot to say i mean this this you know their chaos. Sometimes the chaos works. Sometimes it didn't. Doesn't. It doesn't feel like this team has any kind of game plan or any kind of way of building forward. It works because Kyler Murray is incredibly talented and DeAndre Hopkins is a very good wide receiver. But I mean, just like last season, once teams start to figure that out, you feel this this Cardinals team isn't going to have an awful lot to it. So I can't see them finishing with a winning record. I can't see them getting to the playoffs. Um, the Vikings are the interesting thing here, but again, there, there are an awful lot of questions about both these teams coming out of this game.
Yeah. Uh, next up, the Giants at the Seattle Seahawks, 13-27. to The Giants' kind of improbable run stops here, but the Seattle one continues to rock on. Um, two fourth quarter touchdowns, once Lockett and Walker helped break out of a very tense 13-13 to game. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting. So Seattle were able to... They were kind of they had their run game kept in check, and then Gino had to kind of work it through the through the air, and he did he did pretty good against what is a pretty stingy Giants defense at the moment. He had two hundred thirty eight yards and two touchdowns. Uh, we said those kind of coming towards the tail end, but like they did get ten points off special teams mistakes. They did a good job on defense slowing down the New York offense, but like this was. This was not what the box score suggests when you see a team winning by two two touchdowns. That was a, that was the game breaking open at the tail end. From the Giants' perspective, Jones a little bit under 200 yards, Saquon 62 yards in the touchdown. So not the kind of stat lines we've been seeing out of them the last couple of weeks on this kind of improbable run up. Um, like yeah, they got a touchdown off a off a lucky fumble, but like there was there was there was there was not much to it. This was. This was a game where I think both teams played good defense, but were playing a lot in a shell. You know that kind of like, oh my god, like if if we get here, we we're we're not sure what we're meant to do at this point. Almost like the, uh, do you remember the the Chargers Raiders game last year, where if they just ended in a tie, they would both make the playoffs. There was a touch of that kind of energy to like both these teams not expecting to be on the records they are and knowing that like a win will kind of really push them into contention and just kind of freaking out a little bit about that. But the defense is kind of keeping them both in check. Um, good win for Seattle. Uh, like this is what this is. This is again. We said it about the the Minnesota game. But like these are the types of games you have to win. They found a way in the bottom end by like finding Lockett, who's playing incredibly this year, and Walker, who's really stepped into the role following the injuries. Um, for the Giants, yeah, this is this is probably closer to what we were expecting. And uh, as as we mentioned on the previous episode, I think Shams the one who brought it up. Uh, this is the first of. Uh, 10 losses now so they end up on exactly the uh the, the predicted uh outcomes that i had on the on the preseason i think but um yeah like it's a good win for seattle it's not a great look for the giants but they were due at least one of these at this point because i think they've been a little bit lucky in getting to where they are yeah like i think this is a game where, where both teams in particular the defenses came out and knew what they needed to do they needed to stop the run game obviously walker's been running over people for the last couple of weeks saquon's been doing it all season and both teams succeeded in doing that um walker got a touchdown late uh, saquon got a touchdown on the goal line but like besides that they were kept pretty inefficient so then it came down to uh, the quarterback versus defensive back battle and i think seattle have an incredibly young defensive backfield but it's really exciting you have kobe bryant you have Tariq woolen you have michael jackson um th- these are not just the names of famous people uh, who <laughs> they just put at the backfield but uh you know this is like they've been they're growing week on week and they're becoming an impressive unit and even the linebacker core which has been a big issue early in the season isn't there but i think like the defensive line is where the veterans are and they did a really good job here as well i, I particularly think of shelby Har- it's going to get toe tap um, tackle on Daniel Jones here. But I think Gino was better than Daniel Jones in this game. Um, I think Gino obviously avoided mistakes, um, but he was a little bit unlucky here, right? Like he, he had a touchdown to, to, to Tyler Lockett that was basically went off his, 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 his helmet. Um, he was generally clean. 
and he was under a lot of pressure by this Giants defensive line, which is the strength of them. But against a, you know, their secondary is not their strength. Um, he was able to slowly but surely pick them apart. And I think, you know, obviously if the game script had been different, maybe he wouldn't have been quite as conservative. But, you know, this is working for Seattle. And I think with Gino, with the game on his, on his back, he did enough here. And yes, he was, he was lucky because 10 of the points came off the Giants. Uh, special team fumbles from Richie James, um, but they took advantage of, of that insofar as they did. And I think you know the Giants, particularly in the first half, basically did nothing, and so they were a little bit lucky to be basically uh, within a score at the half. Uh, but to be fair to Daniel Jones, once again, he avoided the mistakes and the fumbles we would have saw last year, so that's good. And he did look better at the start of the second half, but just those fumbles and, and the big play for Lockett and the touchdown, um, those ended up being the things that allowed Seattle to get ahead. And it didn't feel like once they were a touchdown ahead, and certainly when they were up two touchdowns, that the Giants had the fireworks and the firepower they needed to do that. And to be fair, that's not on Jones necessarily. Like Their top receiver right now is Darius Slayton. There's just nothing to really throw to around. So it really would require Daniel Jones to take a Josh Allen-type step to make that work anyway. Um, but it just does expose I suppose the Giants while they are a good solid team who can certainly win especially when they're ahead um, and who are, and when the game is close they do have the right vibes and they keep fighting to the end that if you can get just a little bit of extra ahead of them um, that maybe you can put them out, uh, out uh, in this game so I think for Seattle, the fact that defense is improving so quickly, Gino continues to play clean. Uh, and even when the run game is taken away, they continue to have a somewhat productive offense. And that's what Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf coming to this game with some knocks and maybe not playing 100%. I think you have to be very positive there. For the Giants, I think the ride will continue. They'll continue to pick up wins. Uh, but you know, we know it's a limited team. They have big deficiencies. So they're inevitably going to pick up some L's here along the way when they play against teams who have a, a bit of quality or at least a bit of good vibes around them like Seattle. Yeah. Uh, next up, we'll have a look at uh, New England at the Jets. God hates Jets fans. <laughs> uh, 22-17. Wilson throws 255 yards, three touchdowns, but two interceptions. A lot of mistakes, a lot of turnovers here that lets New England kind of coast their way in this game. Folk went 5-5 five, five on field goals. Uh, they had a good running game. Stevenson went for 143, and Mac attack was back in. He was not benched, as people were wondering. He went for 194, a touchdown, and an interception in a thoroughly boring but exactly what they needed to do um kind of job uh like the jets defense was getting pressure they had six sacks and 13 tackles for a loss but they just weren't able to do enough there was you know nothing really going on the offense until a little bit later like they're missing hall it's sad to see wilson was making mistakes like they'll they'll there might be a call to say that he should have been benched in the back half of this just to try and get a spark going because they weren't far out of this game, but they just couldn't really get anything going for it. Um, maybe Robinson does a little bit more for them after he's bedded in a little bit more, like he gets a, gets a week or two to get up on the on the cadences and, and, and the playbooks and whatever. But yeah, this was this was a lot of empty yardage and just failure to convert for the for the... Yeah, for the Jets, I think it's just, just, just not great. Um, Belichick gets his gets his win to pass uh, Hallis on the on the most wins list uh, against a team he doesn't like in the Jets. So there's there's that. But um, yeah, it's 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 sad because I think this is this is showing that without Hall, there the Jets are falling back to kind of the same level as as the the New England Patriots is just another run rather than a kind of like, oh, these guys could be spicy and surprises kind of team. But like maybe they get something together a little bit down the line. But 
Yeah, it's a, it was a very deflating game for me. What did you think, Sean? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't deflating because my team won, but uh, I did feel it wasn't the most exciting game I've, I've ever watched. I mean, I think the Jets will think about this as, as the one that got away. They There was a moment when there was a pick six on Mac, on Mac Jones and went back and they would have been 17, except it was called back for a very, very soft roughing the pass. Oh, penalty. yeah, I've forgotten to mention that, yeah. <laughs> And that, that, that felt like the, the turning point in this game. And you could say the Jets got screwed over and that they probably would have won had they had that play been upheld. But you can also say they need to be stronger than that. They they allowed the passer penalty to kill all their momentum. They allowed the Pats to to grind the game out. They 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 allowed their offense to become static and predictable and then it all kind of fell apart. I mean this I think was a learning curve for the Jets in terms of these I mean it's all fun it's all great to get to five and two playing exciting comeback from behind, you know, super red zone football. But the you have to learn how to grind games as well. And the Pats gave a kind of an object lesson in how you grind a game to death. That they allowed that momentum shift to become the base upon which they built their entire game. They took control of the clock. They ran the ball an awful lot. Mac Jones did Mac Jones things of, of not making any kind of mistakes, not making any errors, and they and they just grinded out the points and won. Whereas the Jets, it started to feel like they started to take risks when things weren't going their way. They kind of felt as if you know, the universe is conspiring against me, I have to start taking risks. And I think Zach Wilson in particular was very guilty of this. I mean, as I understand it, I mean, it's, it's his college game was built built an awful lot on things he could do in terms of improvisa- improvisation, but he's not, he's either not that good enough to do that at the NFL level or he hasn't learned how to do that at the NFL level. There were multiple times this game where you felt that Zach Wilson was trying to do a Mahomes, trying to do an Aaron Rodgers, trying to, you know, make a play happen on the fly, not giving up when giving up was 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 the, the right play. And he threw two really stupid uh, throws on, on the run that ended up in interceptions and killed the Jets. Whereas if Mac Jones had been playing for the Jets, he would have found a way to not make the mistakes to grind it out. And you, could, you can call that boring, but you can also talk about that in terms of its effectiveness. Obviously, the offense doesn't have the same dynamism without Brees Hall, but I don't think that... I mean, I think they could have found a way to win this game without it because I don't think the Pats um, are the best team in the world. And I think the Jets had a win in this game if they'd kind of just stuck to the game plan and not uh, let the first roadblock they hit completely derail the momentum and, and make them start to panic. On the other side, I mean, we you can ask questions about the Pats in terms of their their defense con- defensive consistency. They can... They can restrict the Jets to 10 points, but they will give up 33 points to the Chicago Bears. I mean, Matt Judon has been on record complaining about this team that when it's at its very best, the defense is unbeatable, but it's not at its best often enough. Um, and on the offensive side, it, there's nothing really spectacular about it. I don't think it's a particularly good offense. Ramondre Stevenson is probably the most exciting thing that's coming out of it. But because they've got the coaching, because they've got the experience about it, because they, they know how to control games, because more than anything else they know how to win games, this ends up being a comfortable comfortable victory rather than a loss. Because I think the Jets are probably the more talented team or certainly the team that looks more exciting, but it's the Pats who come away from this win because they knew how to win and the Jets necessarily didn't. Yeah. No, uh, next up, Miami at Detroit, 31 to 27. Uh, on, on, on our notes here, it says a fun shootout until the scoreless fourth quarter. I just was filled with an ongoing sense of dread as I watched Detroit up in this game and then slowly but surely Tua and the boys came back and clawed it out of their hands and poor Detroit remain 
down in the doldrums. Uh, so Tua went for just over 400 yards and three touchdowns. Hill went for 188 and Waddle went for 106 yards, which is just insane. And two touchdowns for Waddle. Goff had 321 yards in the touchdown. And like they looked fantastic in the first half. Uh, don't know if that's, the you know, we've mentioned before, and they have a very good scoring offense, but also, you know, there's, there's some injuries on this Miami D, but the adjustment in the second half for Miami, like they just, they, they shut them down. Zero points scored 67 something like that yards allowed uh the detroit run game completely stalled out like it was it was remarkable how much of a turnaround the second half was for this miami defense uh now detroit have some form in this so you know we will say that they do tend to flitter out a bit towards the back end and they also just don't know how to run game script for the tail end of games particularly when they're leading but yeah this was this was a bit of a reminder of why Miami were getting hyped so much early in the season. Tua is actually looking very good. Hill and Waddle both like both just putting up yards and yards after the catch. Like we're talking about a spot where Tua still makes the mistakes he does beforehand. He still underthrows people. He still like doesn't have the arm strength of the anticipation for them. But like the weapons are so good. What the fuck does it matter? Like, they're just going to be able to put these up. They're going to have two 2,000-yard receivers or close to it on this offense. Like, this is... Uh, your only concern is, like 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 we said, that, that like the defense can just disappear at times and sometimes the offense sputters. But, like, this Miami team, they're adding a pass rusher. You know, they've, they've brought in another rotational back to add into it. Like, this is, this is the start of what could be a very dangerous animal in the in the AFC race whereas for Detroit just another crushing crushing defeat they just need to get someone in to help them run second half game scripts I think yeah like a second head coach or something I don't know um, <laughs> uh, 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 but like look like like I think I think I think you've got very accurate there Miami sometimes your guys are just better and Tyreek Hill is definitely better than all of the Detroit defensive backs. Because, you know, as you said, like some of those two throws were underthrown, but Tyreek would come back to the ball and he would beat the shit out of the defensive back who was in an advantageous oh, Careful now, position. careful now, careful now, careful now. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> like he would come back and catch the ball even though the defensive back was in a better position because Tua, you know, he, he definitely needs to work on his mechanics to get like take full advantage of this. But like, you know, when you have two, when you have Hill and you have Waddle, they make plays for you. You don't have to be the best quarterback in the league. You don't have to be Justin Herbert. Uh, controversy, I suppose. There, uh, you just need to get it, the ball into their hands and let them do their magic. And in this game, that was more than enough to take down a Detroit defense, which is horrible and terrible. And yeah, they fired a defensive backs coach, but uh, DC. Um, Aaron Glenn has to be on the hot seat right now um, and the head coach has to be in the hot seat right now because it's a team that can't get out of its own way you know the first half they're back to being fun you know they had those two weeks where they were terrible on offense and it was just awful all around now they're back to being fun they get up they're up um, 27 uh, to uh, 17 at the half and then they just disappear zero points in the second half 67 yards in total like it just seemed that once Jamal Williams was stuffed up in the run game and DeAndre Swift wasn't really used too much he was definitely still carrying a bit of hurt uh, there uh, they just didn't do anything and look Jared Goff is okay he's not a terrible quarterback he's below average I would say uh, but if you put him in third and longs he's going to do nothing he's just 
plays very conservatively these days, and to be honest, that's for good reason because he'd probably throw a pick if you let him just sling the ball around. Um, so you just have a guy there compared to say Tua who can't read the game, who's just relying on his coaches doing the job for him. And I just felt like the Miami defense outwitted them in the second half, and they just didn't have any answer to it. And so in the end, it just ended up yeah, just being a bit depressing loss for Detroit. Not as depressing as some recent losses but certainly more frustrating and for Dan Campbell there's only so many times you can give the speech about we were close we're going to get there it's moving to something eventually you got to get get results and I know Miami are a good team but the way they keep losing this game it just has major questions about them as an organization very similar to what Sean said about the Jets they just don't need a team that's ready to win able to win or knows how to win right now yeah um finally san francisco at the rams 31 to 14 uh san francisco sweep the series as they show exactly what could happen if you put a player like christian mccaffrey into that system he had 94 yards in the ground a touchdown as well as 55 yards on a touchdown catching as well as 34 yards on a touchdown passing um it was it was just just being used all over the shop and they were having great fun with it um yeah, he just he just had so much fun. Jimmy G went for 235 and two touchdowns. Ayuk 81 in the touchdown. And the defense had a pretty good game. Two sacks, three tackles for a loss, and only allowed about 200 yards. Stafford just... I, I This Rams team... like I I, 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 I picked this thing that, that San Francisco would win. This Rams team just seems cracked to me. Like, I just... I don't know if it's this injury that Stafford carried into this season. I don't know if it's just they've kind of figured out that, look, there's only one guy they're going to pass it to and stuff. But, like... 187 yards in a touchdown is never going to do it in this kind of scenario, you know? Um, Cup had 89 yards in a touchdown, but, like, the defense, they've got stars. The defense is fine. Like, it's just there's something wrong on the offense, and they just need to get that fixed. I was kind of half hope that they'd figured it out over the over the break, but they haven't, uh, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to get it fixed in season. I know that quite often they say, oh, well, it's only kind of the back half of the season they kind of pull stuff together. Stafford doesn't look right at the moment. He doesn't look like the guy who was winning the Super Bowl. Like, you know, uh, for San Fran, this is uh, this is a very good win, particularly good in division to have it. It's, it's very promising to see Christian McCaffrey being used in this kind of way, and it's kind of exciting to see him being used as dynamically as he is. Hopefully this is a thing that continues rather than just a, oh, look, isn't this great? Isn't this great? Isn't this great? Uh, we only really have like five or six things. Um, we've kind of used them all now. So hopefully that can continue. But uh, yeah, good win for San Fran. Rams, get your shit together. Yeah, it, it feels very much like two teams going in completely opposite directions. The Niners season was beginning to drift away from them, given all the injuries that they suffered. But they've added McCaffrey now. And if he stays healthy, they are definitely contenders, especially in an NFC. See that that really only has one good team. I mean, McCaffrey he really demonstrates the difference between a kind of a plug and play running back, which which the Niners have been using a lot of this random guy in the system, versus what happens when you have a, a unique talent, someone who's able to make things happen. I mean, it wasn't just the running, it wasn't just the throwing. I mean, the the catch for the touchdown was was you know elite wide receiver level catch. I mean, he's. He's just perfect for this offense. He's perfect for an offense where it's all about the dynamism of this of the skill position. It's all about yards after the catch or do it yourself or yards after the first hit or whatever. It's all about it's all about players like Debo and and what McCaffrey can do. Players who can make things happen. I mean, him and Debo, if they get to get if they get together and both are healthy at the same time, it's going to be a terrifying. Con- combination to try and deal with and I, and I can imagine the coaches on the Niners are salivating at, at the, the drawing up the various plays they can run um, for them I mean the Niners there's some worries obviously on the defensive side their their backup uh, defensive backs 
aren't quite at the level as, as the first choices. They struggle to deal with the Rams' offense, especially in the first half, and that might be a worry further down the line. But for now, that the Niners feel very live and very relevant and very likely, possibly, given the, West, the way this division is going, to be a good contender to, to take that divisional crown. For the Rams, yeah, it is just... It is, it's just falling apart in various different ways. Um, they've obviously got a very good offense, uh, an awful lot of talent uh, involved in there, but there are, there are failures of execution. There were a lot of, kind of drops uh, and so much, but there's also a conservatism in approach. The team seems to not be willing to trust, either it's Stafford not willing to trust many of his receivers or, or the, the coach is not willing to trust their players. There's just too much... Stafford throws the cup going on, and that becomes quite predictable, especially when you don't really have a functioning run game. It means that there's an awful lot of pressure on that pass game to make things um, happen. Alan Robinson, you, you feel he's f beginning to find his role. I think he had he, something like 56 or something yards pa catching in this, which is good, if not necessarily great, although it did feel that the Niners started to target him a bit, and they kind of get under his skin, and, and he got called for uh, a 15-yard penalty for, for taunting and such like, which kind of demonstrate that maybe he's... They're, they're, I think they, the Niners got at him at the at the reverse fixture a few weeks ago as well. So so that that could be a weak point there. Their, their offensive line is struggling as well. Their defense, you know, is comp comprised mostly of star names plus fill-in pieces, and maybe it isn't quite clicking as much as it should. So the Rams, they just don't feel like they have an answer, and it, it to a certain extent, kind of like the Bucks and, and and like the Packers, you don't feel that they're evolving, you don't feel that they're solving the problems that are put up against them. It seems to be the solution to be more Stafford throws the cup, which is not the way out. So the Rams feel like that they're regressing and they're going to struggle to to, to make any kind of impact in terms of, of retaining their, their crowd. Um, but the Niners feel like an exciting team and definitely the NFC needs to look out because if this team stays healthy, which again, given us the Niners is a big if, but if they do stay healthy, they're, they're going to be a very difficult team to, to stop on the offensive side. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an exciting time for them. Just It's nice. Christian McCaffrey has always been very good. Obviously, the injuries hit him, but like it's nice to kind of see him getting used like this. Uh, now, obviously, all games are important. Just some games are less important, and that's why we give them to Fitz in the dump off. So uh, take it away. Yeah, going towards the middle of the season, so uh, more and more teams are moving towards irrelevance, and certainly there's more teams we'd like to slide fully into irrelevance, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work what we have for now. We'll start with two teams that are technically relevant, I suppose. Washington at the Colts, 17-16 win for Washington. Taylor Heineke for the second week is very Taylor Heineke, which is to say the poor man's fits magic. He... He you know, does lots of dumb things, he does lots of interesting things, and he leads to exciting ends of the games. In this case, he led to a winning situation after throwing a pick earlier in the game. He ended up with nearly 300 yards and a touchdown, and that touchdown came after a two-minute drive at the end. Um, and the big thing is he leaned, he, with Heineke back in there, they're leaning on you know, McLaurin F1, uh, over 100 yards here, and he's a homeboy to India, in, in Indianapolis, so he enjoyed that particularly great. I think he said he owned the place. Um, so they had a good chance there. And considering they didn't have a run game, I think overall they can be okay with the situation they end up in. On the other hand, for Indianapolis, like, look, I think Ellinger looked better than Ryan. He had a fumble, only 200 yards, but he looks dynamic at least. He looks like he can throw the ball down the field. It looks like he can rush the rush if required, like move around the pocket. There's still a lot to work on, but I can see the reasons why they're playing over Matt Ryan. And um, we'll see how he grows over the weeks. Uh, as, going uh, as we go ahead. The big concern for them probably is that John and Taylor just looks hobbled and as Connor mentioned, might be out this week. He 
He just isn't the same Jonathan Taylor, and neither they got rid of the Naeem Hines. So you might see more Dion Jackson or Zach Moss, who they got in part of that trade. But uh, overall, Indianapolis still look a bit listless, um, and they definitely would have liked to get a win here against a, like, let's be honest, not great Washington team. Denver at Jacksonville, the London game, 21-17. Oh boy, Jacksonville, disappointment. Come together, you know, like a horse and carriage. Like Lawrence, 148 yards, a touchdown, but two interceptions, including on the final drive. Get just a Denver win that they kind of deserved, I suppose. But I think for me, the big thing is like Jacksonville, they made huge mistakes. That other interception came in the red zone on a terrible play by Trevor Lawrence. They were 1-3 in the red zone overall. And oh... All this was happening while Travis Etienne was having the game of his life. 162 yards in total, a touchdown. He was working his ass off, and, and Trevor Lawrence and the defense were giving him nothing. Um, on the other hand, Russell Wilson started absolutely awful in this game, uh, through an interception that was inexplicable, but as the game went on, he started to look actually like, you know, Russell Wilson, the good Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited, uh, to some extent. He was pretty, I wouldn't hey, say he's unlimited, right. but he's a... He's approaching the limit, uh, let's say. Um, he's, he's moving up the curve, and you know the defense uh, looked pretty solid. Two interceptions, two sacks, five tackles for a loss, and they kind of kept the game close until Russell started getting going. I think Dulcich, the tight end, is coming and turning into a bit of a safety blanket for Russell Woodson, and that's working out. Jerry Judy got a touchdown here, so look, I don't think Denver are good, but at least you saw the building blocks of maybe them moving on, but it might just be that Jacksonville are bad uh, and just aren't worthy of respect. Next up, ten, Tennessee at the Texans, 17-10. King Henry once again feasts at the table of the Houston Texans. Over 200 yards again, two touchdowns here. And it's a good thing too because the fill-in rookie quarterback Malik Willis had 67 yards in interception. And after the interception, they basically just told him to, you go over there and just hand over to King Henry and let him do the job. Um, and the defense took took care of the rest. They had interception, three sacks, eight tackles for a loss, and they allowed less than 200 yards. And 90 of those yards came on a garbage time uh, drive by the Texans. The Texans just looked lost. Even Damian Pierce didn't do much in this game. His touchdown came in garbage time. And Davis Mills is just flailing around and not doing much. So, look, Tennessee, I think, had an extra gear if they needed to, but they didn't because the Texans are getting worse as the season goes on. And, and Tennessee are just who they are. They're, they're grand. They're okay. They're solid. Next up, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Thursday Night Football, 27-22 win for Baltimore. Baltimore started this game slow, 3-10 um, at the half, but uh, and they had a bunch of injuries to Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman and Gus Edwards, but Lamar grew into the game. He found the uh, the fill-in rookie tight end, uh, I say, a likely for 77 yards and a touchdown. Kenya Drake at 67 yards was pretty solid. Uh, and so Lamar, he's not been where he was early in the season, but he's still, Lamar Jackson, he's still very good. On the other hand, Tom Brady, 325 yards and touchdown. Like, that's a lot of yards, right? But they were empty yards. Like, they were 2-5 and five in the red zone. Evans over 100 yards. Godwin nearly 100 yards. But they're just inaccuracies there. He just doesn't look like Tom Brady. The timing's off. The mechanics are off. Like, for a guy who's built around, he's built his career around perfection, it all just looks a little bit sloppy. And even though they're racking up the yards, they're not making the, 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 the right decision. He's not making the right decisions in the key moments. And it's just leading to a situation where, because they have no rush game and their defense is declining very quickly, he's not able to pull this all together. So Baltimore were able to get a win here, which the score flatters Tampa Bay, to be honest, to a certain extent here. They were ahead uh, quite early in the second half and looked like they were going to take it for, for the win uh, quite easily. Um, so Tampa Bay just... Ugh, not not nice to watch right now. Baltimore, they're they're good, but we'll see if they can be great. Next up, Cincinnati at Cleveland, 13 to 32. Uh, uh, yeah, so a big win for Cleveland over the rival Cincinnati. Um, Cleveland won because Chubb was great, of course, 100 yards and two others. But thankfully, also Brissett was good, 278 yards a touchdown. Cooper had over 100 yards. 
including a really nice catch from a deep ball from uh, Brissett. So I think Brissett's getting the protection from the offensive line. He's now throwing the ball down uh, downfield to people like uh, Cooper, and it's working out. Uh, and even Dalton Peoples-Jones getting a few nice plays. So the defense finally had a good game. Two turnovers, five sacks, four tackles for a loss, albeit against you know the offensive line uh, for uh, Cincinnati without Jamar Chase for uh, Burrow to just throw and heave it up to it at the last moment. Burrow just looked didn't look right without Jamar Chase there as kind of his safety blanket. Mixon continues to be inefficient against that, behind that offensive line, and they basically did nothing till garbage time here. It was like 25 points up in the uh, early in the second half here. So really, this was an easy win for Cleveland and Cincinnati. Uh, after having a few games and getting back up into contention, suddenly are reverting back to why they were losing those games early in the season, and maybe even worse without Jamar Chase. And obviously, Abuzier being gone just makes that probably even worse on the defense going forward. Next up, Green Bay at Buffalo Sunday Night Football. Uh, yeah, Buffalo are just better than Green Bay, and that was why they won. I would like to say there was more analysis than that. Like, there is. Like, Allen was pretty good in this game, though he had two interceptions in the second half when the game was already out of hand. Uh, but he was physical. He was, like, jarring with guys and like, getting up in the face of defensive players. So he was up for this game. He's having the time of his life right now. I'm sure if you're a, a, a Buffalo fan, you might prefer that he doesn't get involved in these altercations, considering that they're winning this game easily. But, hey, it is what it is. And uh, Stefan Diggs had over 100 yards here, so he's having a good season as well. Rodgers... Look better in, in what was effectively garbage time here with two touchdowns, but, you know, the offense, things were working, which is more than you can say for, you know, the last month of football. So maybe they can build on that towards having something resembling an offense. And the defense, while, you know, they're okay, they were overwhelmed here by a far superior unit and a far superior quarterback. So easy win for Buffalo, as we all expected. Next up, Chicago at Dallas, 29-49. to Chicago were actually feisty enough here. Um, Fields is looking way more comfortable in this run-heavy offense. They've probably got on the quarterback runs and stuff like that. He had three touchdowns, um, and the off and the, the, like the running backs are getting over 100 yards combined. Uh, but the defense is bad, and they let Dallas get up early in this game. Um, and Dallas overall just looked back to being uh, the kind of what we expected early in the season from Dak. Uh, you know, he had over nearly. He turned the yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Pollard in a full-time role because Zeke was that injured. Look why he should be the full-time starter, let's be honest. But uh, Jerry Jones wants his guy to get more things. And But like the defense is the main reason that they've won so much this season. And again, this they were really effective here. Uh, probably highlighted by a Parsons TD on a fumble. Uh, but overall, I think Chicago can take heart from what they're doing in recent weeks. But Dallas are a better team. So they, they, they got it done here pretty easily. Next up, Pittsburgh at Philly. Similar here. 13-35 win for Philly. Philly are just better than Pittsburgh. Hertz had a great game. Four touchdowns. He had like three copy and paste touchdowns to Brown where he just had one-on-one -on -one coverage. Well, one of them was two-on-one, but he, he basically just like... Hertz just blew it up deep and... AJ Brown's a stud, so they scored a touchdown against what's a pretty poor set of defensive backs in Pittsburgh, to be fair. There's a reason they traded for William Jackson, I suppose. So they're 28-10 up early, and that was pretty much the game over. Pickett was... Two turnovers, 200 yards. He's still looking pretty sloppy. I'll be here against a really good defense, who, who obviously we have beaten up even better quarterbacks than him. Uh, but the run game is terrible. Najee Harris is looking like Trent Richardson these days. And look, basically, once Philly went up early, it just looked like it was a relevant match. And uh, yeah, Philly are, are well ahead in, the, in this state uh, battle here. And finally, Vegas at New Orleans. Vegas have been showing some signs of life, and then they <laughs> lay a goose egg. <laughs> a goose egg against a you know, a, a fairly bad New Orleans team, let's be honest. But New Orleans are, they've learned, hey, Alvin Kamara, that guy's pretty good at football. 
And in Andy Dalton, they have a guy who's like, hey, that guy is good at football. So he just gives him the ball and doesn't try to do anything else. So Dalton's two touchdowns came from two passes to Kamara, and that just moved that offense and gave them something that they could build around. And the rest of the offense will probably come around, and guys like Olave and Thomas and Landry will probably get some get theirs later on. But Kamara, for now, seems to be enough to beat a terrible Vegas defense because um, the, the, the New Orleans defense basically erased the, the Vegas offense. They had, like, an interception, four sacks, seven times for a loss, but, like, the, the Vegas Raiders didn't cross the halfway line to the last two minutes of this game. It was just perplexingly bad. Carr had 100 yards and a, an interception. Jacobs was under 50 yards, so, of course, game script probably wasn't helping him, but after the last few weeks, it was just weird that they got absolutely cocky here. Um, so, look, I don't know if this means that Vegas are just as bad or New Orleans are actually building something, but... You know, Vegas, big questions to be asked about them. Um, and I'm sure we'll get them answered in next week's dump off uh, unless they have a severe turnaround. Okay, so first up, we have Thursday Night Football. Philadelphia are taking on the Houston Texans. We've gone for Philadelphia across the board because, well, duh. Uh, like, yeah. Philly are dominant on both sides of the ball. They have great lines, they have great offensive weapons, great defensive players. Uh, Houston don't. Like, Yo, they're plucky. There's some nice pieces. Damian Pierce and stuff is good. They're getting a few bits done, but like they don't really stand any chance. There's no point of assessing this any further. So we'll move on. Next up, we have Green Bay taking on Detroit. Um, God, this is a head versus heart game. Although it took me a real hard time to 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 figure out what I was going to do. Me and Sean have gone for Detroit. Fitz has gone for Green Bay. This is two teams that are in the division with each other. Always tend to have exciting even though normally one-sided engagements. Um, both of these teams know how to lose very well, essentially, at the moment. Um, I'm hoping Detroit are able to get out to a lead and that Green Bay just struggle to get stuff going in the offense. This would be a lovely win for Detroit to get at home, but, uh, God, this is a coin flip game that normally I'd love to watch, but I think this is going to be an absolute piece of shit. It's going to be... A- a real uh, immovable object against uh, indestructible force but the opposite <laughs> I was going to say just two immovable objects <laughs> staring at each other but... are, can, Metapod, can, <laughs> can this can this terrible Packers passing offense finally get its mojo against possibly the worst defense in the league or will the Detroit defense finally learn how to defend now that they're facing a team that can't that has no competent wide receiver it's going to be very interesting to see how that's going and then obviously on the other side you've got a pretty good offense although it is liable to just turn off for entire halves or even an entire game when they play the pats against a pretty decent um packers defense so it's going to be a very bizarre game where half the game is going to be two competent units against each other and the other half is going to be two shit shows trying to find form against one another and it's very unpredictable how it's going to go but i i gotta go with heart i mean the Packers have been pretty terrible this year, and it would be just lovely to, to, to get the Lions a win over the Packers. It would be really nice, get their season going, because they, they deserve more than a 1-6 record, because they've been such a fun team, especially offensively, but they just can't, they can't win games. You can't win games when you give up 38 points, uh, you know, in every game. So it'll be interesting to see if, if it'd be interesting to see if, if, if Rodgers finds his mojo, or if the the defense has some op- answers here because one of these things has to give one of these one of these units actually has to turn up and whoever whoever does will end up winning this game. Yeah, and I think for me, like if this was two weeks from now, we probably wouldn't have to talk about this game because I think both teams would be irrelevant. But I think Green Bay are right at the precipice of being basically eliminated from playoff contention. Detroit, I think they just desperately need a win in any form just 
to make sure this whole thing isn't getting blown up at the end of the year. So right now it feels like this could be a, you know, a sliding doors moment for both these teams. I think Green Bay, like I think Aaron Rodgers, he's a two-time MVP. I know they have no weapons, but Detroit's defense, truly awful this year. So I am willing to favor that they can get that done. And on the other hand, like, yes, there's been improvement the last couple of weeks for Detroit's offense. They, they're getting back to where they were a few weeks ago. Swift should be a week healthier. Amon Ross getting healthier, though they just trade away TJ Hawkinson, who's been solid for them when they've both been out. So, look, I, I don't know. This Detroit thing just feels off. And even though Green Bay are equally not great, I just kind of feel like they... At least they've got somewhat of a spirit about them for now. They have enough to draw on from previous seasons, at least. Yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, next up, Indianapolis at New England. We've gone from New England across the board in this one, Sean. Like, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm basing mine on the fact that Bill Belichick has been cooking up rookies, and Ellinger is now in. Yeah, there, there's definitely an argument to be made there. That uh, I mean, I think the main thing here is that New England are unspectacular but consistent they will come in with a game plan as you say Balachik will he'll have a sense of how to tackle this this put give problems to this rookie quarterback and will do enough to get going whereas i think the colts do seem to be in a bit of a crisis especially on the offensive side they don't really seem to know what their solutions on the offensive side is they're they're starting now to you know i mean they're they're, they're firing offensive coordinators they're they're throwing out veteran quarterbacks in the name of some unknown rookie it feels very panicky and it does not feel like a team that's in panic and has a number of uh, very obvious flaws new england is like the last team you should be playing because for whatever whatever limitations that the pats have on both sides of the ball they have very good coaching and they are very good at sniffing out other teams weaknesses so i just i have to believe that the coaching will be the difference here and um New England will win, and I think we all have New England across the board in this one. Yeah, I agree with you. Next up, Minnesota, Washington. We have Minnesota across the board in this one, Roan, and uh, yeah, yeah, like, like solid we Minnesota. should respect this game, right? Like Minnesota, they've only won lost in the season. Washington are at five hundred; they're in the wild card hunt, and yet both these teams just have that smell of like. You're kind of dumb, right? Like, I don't know if I can respect you, basically. Like, Minnesota are obviously worth more respect because they have the better record, and they have things which are just objectively great, like Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook uh, and stuff like that, whereas Washington are just kind of wibbly wobbling their way through the season, similar to, say, like the Cardinals. Um, so I have to favor Minnesota, but this kind of does feel like the kind of game that Minnesota could definitely drop. So I think we're all willing to pick Minnesota, but don't be surprised if this turns out to be a shock win for Washington. Yeah, next up is your pick of the week, Ronan. We've got the Chargers taking on the Atlanta Falcons. Me and you have gone for the Chargers. Sean has gone for the Falcons. Uh, tell us a bit about this one. Yeah, in the NFL season, probably whose biggest characteristic of note has been its weirdness and mediocrity to some extent. You know, now we have two teams that are coming to mediocrity from completely opposite directions. Obviously, the Chargers super hyped with all the talent and Justin Hurts of quarterback prospects who's better than uh better than Patrick Holmes according to some in the preseason and, and Connor's enjoying probably him uh you know being brought back there to a certain extent. Oh no no uh, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't the, I the wouldn't rings, gain great enjoyment from have. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Atlanta on paper one of the worst teams in the league are just doing their weird shit every week, running the ball when they're like twenty points down, occasionally randomly bringing in Kyle it's in Drake London. They're two highly drafted uh, tight end and wide receivers, respectively. Marcus Mariota, is he a quarterback? Is he a running back? What's he doing this week? And a defense which is very, very up and down, very hard to keep a track on. So, look, I think Atlanta, 
I think the thing Atlanta have is that they're to a certain extent maximizing what they have and they may have Cordell Patterson here and he did look pretty feisty again early this year so that could be an X factor here and so Sean's picking Atlanta I think that's a, it's a brave pick but the Chargers are certainly capable of losing any given game so I don't blame them for doing so so I think Atlanta they're just weird they have a strange offensive philosophy they're kind of treating the offense some weeks as if Derrick Henry was there to so just run the ball every down and then occasionally they're not doing that like they did last week they kind of got the pass game involved more so just hard to get a read on them I think their defense is objectively bad particularly the defensive back so in theory Justin Herbert should be able to shred them up um, Keenan Allen should be back um, and, and probably healthy I might think Mike Williams is probably out so they'll be relying guys like uh, Josh Palmer and people like that so you know it's not a great array of weapons though Austin Eckler has been really ramping up but I think objectively I think Chargers should win this game but you know Herbert is he healthy fully after the, the Rams injury early in the season is this defense just going to get trammeled over in terms of the run defense which looked like it had been fixed early in the season but it's slowly been reverting to 2021 awfulness and so, you know, I think Atlanta certainly have a chance here, but like, I'm willing to trust they come off the bye, they sort some stuff out, and the Chargers show why they're a superior roster and a superior team with a superior quarterback, and they get it done here. But this could definitely go either way. And these two teams are just too hard to predict any given week, to be honest. Look, it's we, we all want to live in a universe where the Chargers win this game because they're more talented and they're more fun and it'll be better for the NFL as a whole if teams like that succeeded. But if we've learned anything from this season is we do not live in that universe. We live in the universe where the Atlanta Falcons are a playoff team and they're going to grind this one out and the Chargers are going to charge and it's going to be one of those inexplicable wins, uh, inexplicable uh, score lines. But I just... I just feel that the universe is cons- is going to conspire to, to, to prevent the Chargers from winning this one and to give the Falcons the win, even though they really shouldn't. To be fair, look, the universe doesn't need to conspire. Their own fucking coaching does that enough for them. <laughs> um, next up, Vegas at Jacksonville. Me and Sean have gone for Jacksonville. Fitz has gone for Vegas. God, this is a dog shit game. Uh, Las Vegas scored no points last week. Hopefully they can improve on that. <laughs> Jacksonville collapsed in London with some terrible, terrible decision-making. Um, yeah, this like both both have good run games, so it'll be quick. You'd imagine that's run the damn ball off. That's about it. Run the damn ball off. Jacksonville are at home. Vegas are traveling over to them. Like, I think there's a bit more upside on the Jacksonville thing because I think at the moment Adams is like just wondering why did he decide to go go to join the Raiders. Um, and I think Derek Carr is essentially auditioning for where he'll be playing next year because I don't think he'll be playing with the Raiders next year. Um, but yeah, we'll go for Jacksonville. Fitz will go for Vegas, and I will advise everyone to not watch this. Uh, not watch this game. I think. Next up, Sean, tell me about Carolina uh, going down and taking on Cincinnati. Cincinnati having obviously taken a couple of injuries, and Carolina being a little bit feistier, although still getting in their own way of late. It's another one of those depressing games because we got a Carolina Panthers team who are not particularly talented um, versus a, a Bengals team who are on paper much better, but whose season hasn't been going great. Obviously, their offensive line still has some issues, and now they've, faced, they've been hit by two pretty serious injuries on, on both sides of the ball. Um, and the question is, can the Bengals, uh, you know, overcome that and find a way to win? Like, can, can Joe Burrow find a way to win without Jamar Chase, which is something he has struggled a little bit with uh, when he doesn't have Chase as an option, that the offense isn't quite the dynamic level it is but I still just I still think there's just there's still the Bengals should have enough here because I don't think there's the Panthers were flattered to deceive last week by the fact that the Falcons have no defense 
Um, and here against a, a slightly better defense, I think they're going to struggle a little bit. I, I don't buy into the PJ Walker hype. I mean, he's got a couple of explosive plays in him and maybe a good game or two, but overall his level is not NFL starter level. And I think just the difference in terms of the quality of the quarterback should, should decide. Joe, Joe Burrow will find a way to win this game, whereas it's hard to imagine how PJ Walker uh, will do that. Yeah, the and... XFL disrespect. I, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> Next up, we have a game that would have been so much tastier if it had happened two weeks ago. Uh, Buffalo are taking on the New York Jets down in Joysey. Uh, we've gone for Buffalo across the board in this. So the Jets are in a tailspin. Their hope is that maybe Robinson gets in there and, and gets a few more, like gets a bit more comfortable with the with the playbook and can deliver some of the stuff that they're missing with Hall gone. Um, we did see good yardage and a bit more of a relationship uh, between the Wilsons on the offense. So like maybe that can do something for them. But like... This Buffalo team, even when it's struggling a bit, and this is a decent New York Jets defense, like they are a machine. They are going to be able to lock up. There's a lot of weapons on it. Now you're like essentially your your hope is that Sauce Gardner can 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 do his thing and that they you know, that the offense the defensive line can kind of disrupt Allen and cause some issues, but it's really like the, the the path to victory for the Jets is so narrow in this game now that the that the dynamism yeah. is gone from their offense. Like it's not impossible by any means. It's just more. If we were two weeks ago, I would be having a really hard think about this. Like in division at home, could this be the kind of yeah we're also in this mix kind of statement game? Whereas now I'm just like oh I just don't see it for them unfortunately. Yeah, I think this game to some extent very hard to see the Jets winning, but I think it's also about respect. After what the, the England did, where they ripped their heart out last week after Zach Wilson just imploded in himself, and they the, the, the New England just waited for Zach Wilson to just be bad, basically. And that's how they won that game. And I think in this situation, it's about respect on both ends. I think Zach Wilson just needs to listen to his coaches, play the game of football as a distributor not as some kind of epic playmaker who can do everything on any arm he needs to look at what happened to josh allen who went from a guy who had 50 percent completion and who looked like a very raw rookie into what he is today he has to listen to people but like the reports that came out after the game the post-game interviews where you know they're trying to tell him the stats he's like i don't listen to stats like it's just it's not promising right now so this guy needs to humble himself very quickly and like i know he's a stud he gets all the mills and stuff like that but you know he's got to humble himself pretty quickly and on the other hand i think this needs Jet, new, like obviously the Jets defense is going to be put in a very difficult position if Zach Wilson uh, throws more interceptions or if they can't get any production but I think obviously this defense has been such a great success story this this year finally for Salah especially the defensive backs if they could just slow down Buffalo and make them work hard to get a win here to get like to 20 points or so mm. um, then I think that's a that gains respect and if the Jets because if the Jets collapse here if they get absolutely hockeyed then I got to it's just a bad vibe about this team that this could all implode in itself way too fast and I just don't want to see that because I think there's still enough fun pieces of the team that I do want to kind of see, still see them being relevant when we get to the back end of the season. Yeah, no, the, the Bills are just a much better team and we've, we've talked about the, the Jets' limitations. Uh, I mean, as you say, Connor, I think the, the, what we should be hoping for here is a close game where the Jets fight and their and their defense shows up because it could be it could be a blow off if the Jet blow out because if the Jets are still you know dealing with the the New England hangover and that they they fall apart as easily as they did against the Pats I mean the Bills will just they will obliterate them they're that good yeah and that's the thing like it's a good defense as well they've yeah it's just this is a very complete Buffalo team um 
yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to see it. But look, Con, prove us wrong, Jets. It'd be great to see it. Uh, Miami at Chicago, Ronan. Um, Miami, yeah, like, this, this offense versus Chicago's defense missing two of its best players. Yeah, like look, that the, 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 will probably struggle to get pressure on 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 Tua. Um, so that probably means that Hill and Waddle are going to have big games. Um, so that's probably bad for Chicago and why they're going to lose. But I think for Chicago, once again, it's this is about this year's all about progress, right? Like they've suddenly seen Justin Fields start to grow into himself. They get Chase Claypool in this week. If they could just keep this competitive and kind of have a game like Detroit were having for most of the game last week, I think they could be happy enough with that. But look, Miami, as I said, are kind of perplexing. Like, you know, they should be scoring, it feels like, a lot more points given how many yards they are. So I give Chicago a chance, especially with their run clock control type offense. But mm. look, Miami are a better team, so I think we have to favor them. But don't count out Chicago completely. Here, no, like, like, like Chicago, Chicago have started to figure out, actually, do you know what? We should be playing our quarterback quite differently. And have they started to do that at least? So that's, that's something. Uh, next up is my pick of the week, Seattle at Arizona. I've decided against my best wishes to go for Arizona. And you guys have both gone for Seattle. I've been leading the, the Seattle charge for the last while. I was kind of getting solo picks for them the last couple of weeks, but I just have that sense of this is going to be the one where Arizona are going to show up and the chaotic energy is all going to land in the right way. And it's going to play out for them. DeAndre Hopkins is back, so they're going to have that to work on the offense. Like Seattle are good. I like everything about me uh, in my head logically says Seattle should be the one to win this. Gino has been very good, although maybe a little bit overhyped of late. They've got a good run game. They're getting a lot of production out of that defense, and yet it's Arizona, and I just get this weird feeling that something's going to happen here. That. They're gonna. This this is gonna be like a D hop, two hundred yards and three touchdowns kind of game, and everyone's gonna go see Kyler Murray's back now. He's got his weapons, and Call of Duty's you know two weeks old, and I don't, I don't think that's what it'll be. I think it'll just be madness happening to catch in a bottle at the right time, um, because I don't rate their defense, and I think Seattle should be able to run quite effectively on them and pass on them. Like, DK Metcalf is back as well as Lockett, so you've got plenty of weapons there. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I've just got this sense of impeding doom that this is the one that Seattle dropped, having won the tight one against, uh, against the Giants last week, you know? Yeah, weird shit happens with Arizona and Seattle. It's kind of one that's of those... that's that's what I'm thinking. Like slightly mad. It's a it's a like... chaos bowl. You know, unpredictable. Yeah. Roll for initiative, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um... Like I think, I think the big thing about these teams is that they've kind of both had a similar trajectory. Where, um, certainly on the defense, it's kind of weird. Both these teams had the worst defense in the league for like the first three or four weeks, and both of them have, have steadily improved to being pretty solid to maybe even good defenses so it'll be interesting to see how much production both these offenses get because obviously Arizona they get D-Hop back it's working out so do these young defensive backs in Seattle who have proven up the Tariq Woolen for example shadow to to, to Andre Hopkins like is is he ready for that like I don't know about that but uh, you know it's working enough for Arizona they're putting up points again and for Seattle obviously Kenneth Walker's a threat DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are threats so you would imagine they have production but given where these defenses are this could you know, I think that there's a good chance it'll be high scoring, but this could actually be a lot more tense than you might expect um, on the day. And as I said, there's weird shits happen with these teams, particularly yeah. in Arizona. So, yeah, it, it is pretty much a, a chaos for like 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 car- carving copy a little bit of the Jets game, uh, the the Giants game of like I think this will be tight in the first half, and then something like a levy will break, and suddenly it'll be crazy for a while. 
No, it'll just be fun to watch. It'll be, it'll be especially with the the Rams Bucks the other game in the late window. This will dominate red zone for that. Yeah, for that I'd window, say so. I would say. Uh, next up is your pick of the week, as you're saying, Sean, there, Rams, Bucks. Uh, we've gone for Rams across the board in this one. Uh, is this the collapse of Tom Terrific, or could he have a resurgence just before we head to Germany to possibly see him live? Yeah, from the from the Chaos Bowl to the Crisis Bowl, both these teams obviously in, in very bad shape. And it's just a question of whose season is collapsing quicker. And it fi- feels to me that the Bucks are... I mean, we'd all love Tom to... Well, I, you know, we'd all love Tom to, to be back to his usual form, especially just for the next few weeks while, when he comes to Germany. But I, it's just... It's fallen apart. Mentally, he's just not there. The team has just got no answers. The... the the, the offense just does not have the ability to score a lot of points and their defense, which used to be the, the strong point, is beginning to fall apart as well. Whereas at least the Rams aren't quite at that level of crisis. The Rams are, are struggling to, to win games that they won, won last year. They're struggling to impose themselves on games that they were able to last year. And a lot of that is perhaps the Stafford injury or, or the, 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 the as I talked about, the conservatism in the play call, the, the reliance on on cup the, the lack of a run game etc etc um, but that feels i mean the books would love to be where the rams are the books would love to be in a situation where things are just not quite clicking but you can kind of see the ways in which they can come together if they just fix a few things whereas the books it's very hard to actually see what the solution to their problems are because it just feels as though this entire project is collapsing around them and if brady's not in the right mindset to play properly which if, it, it, it i mean i think my read at this point is that I, I think he's just, you know, his his home life has affected him so much that he's just not in the right headspace. If he's not in the right headspace, this Bucks team just does not function at all. Um, so I, I think the Rams should win this because because they're not in dire straits as, as the Bucks. Um, I mean, it's 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 really sad because two years ago this was a real this they had, they had a big game. I think it was week four, or week five when they were two super contending teams and they were on their way up. But now it's watching both these projects fall back down. Um, to earth it's kind of sad to see uh, and yeah i wouldn't recommend watching an awful lot of this because i can't imagine it's going to be a particularly good game your, your, pro- yeah, like, your problem there is that there's only one other game on at the same time <laughs> yeah like like given what tom brady has sacrificed to to be playing this game like it, it's Several hard to ball really boys them. yeah like it's just you know it's sad like this is just you know da- hello darkness my old friend this is where both these teams are right now but they're both still in the running for their division so it is a huge game in terms of them keeping their playoff hopes alive and yeah i think we're picking the rams because you know at least their defense is actually standing up and doing stuff still whereas tampa bay on both sides of the ball have been even though the offense is churning out yards they're just not creating points they're making sloppy mistakes and tom brady just he looks so on tom brady right now i just it's hard to pick him like my, my 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 problem with this one is that like I I I think the Rams might actually be worse overall, but I think Tom Brady is gonna have a mare now. If Tom could even be bog standard middle of the road, I think Tampa Bay could take this one because I really don't think the Rams are any good. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just that thing of they're just so disjointed and everything comes down to Tom Brady who just seems to be kind of tail spinning. Yeah, it's just a. It's just a mess. Next up, we have Tennessee at Kansas City. Uh, we've gone for Kansas City across the board. This is a fairly solid Tennessee team. They've realized that they can just go to King Henry and, and just let him 
whack it on the ground essentially whereas Kansas City is kind of the bear is almost the opposite they've the last week or two they've kind of gone away from the run game a little bit although it has been getting used throughout the season and just gone a bit more explosive um the question is basically who can who can manage the game better in terms of how they can score because I think Kansas City have a decent defense should match up okay against Tennessee the problem being that Henry is always a, a tough ask, even if he hasn't had his best running games against Kansas City in the past. Uh, whereas Tennessee, I can't see them stopping the Kansas City offense a ton, but if they can control clock and control the game script a lot, I, I could see them having a route here. And they do have a pretty good overall record against Kansas City. Um, yeah, like that's that's why I kind of like give Tennessee a chance, because they just... Mm. Brable's done a solid job of having a bit of, you know, just kind of making Kansas City look, make their life difficult, basically. But I think the difference now is that, you know, the diversified Kansas City attack, they've got a lot more patient. They're doing a lot more things, traditional things to get the offense going. So in theory, that should mean that the, the ability of Brable to shut down like Hill and Kelsey should, shouldn't be as prevalent right now. But Tennessee right now, like Tannehill will probably be back, but he'll be coming off an injury, so I don't know how dynamic that will be. And like Tennessee, look, they're, they're just doing their thing, picking up wins, but yeah, Kansas City are a better team, and look, the NFL is better overall if teams at Kansas City are beating teams like the, like the Titans, let's be honest. Yeah, we want exciting teams like Kansas City to do well, and it kind of does feel like that they're evolving as the season goes on whereas the titans are i mean it's the titans are a weird team i watched them and i feel very uninspired and yet they're five and two and looking in complete demand of their division and they're probably going to be one of the high seeds going into the season but it i mean it does feel a little bit as well as they're coached and as well as their defense seems to function offensively it's it's an awful lot of just king henry gets things done and you feel that maybe andy reed will, will follow find some schemes to to trap uh, Henry and to, to allow things to flourish. I just feel that the Chiefs have more alternatives on the offensive side than the Titans, and that could be the difference. Yeah, let, let's not waste another number one seed on the Titans, okay? Like, let's just <laughs> put a fun team in the divisional round straight away. Yeah, yeah. And finally, Monday Night Football, Baltimore are taking on New Orleans. We've gone for Baltimore across the line. Um, yeah, look, they've decided Dalton's the man to go to because he'll pass the ball to Kamara underneath, whereas... Uh, Jameis will always just try and go for the deep shot. So can that kind of consistent movement get stuff going? Or will this Baltimore offense that sometimes fits and spurts, but like has the ability to be exciting, will it be able to get the stuff done against this New Orleans team? Like uh, the the question mark is always this Baltimore defense is inconsistent, I think is a fair term to use, but now have, you know, some new pieces in there. Let's see. Let's see how they work. Yeah, both these teams have been inconsistent. They've both kind of flattered to deceive. It's particularly annoying with Baltimore because they're obviously a good team and they have been good in all their games, but they've blown a lot of leads. I think they've been up by 10 in nearly every game this season, whereas New Orleans have just been very wibbly. But it kind of feels like New Orleans may have found in Andy Dalton something that's good enough for them to build the rest of their season around and in any side, which is just stupid um that may be enough to sneak into the playoffs so i think for the ravens if they lost this would be a big setback for them because i think right now with cincinnati flailing with the loss of chase and Wouzier, cleveland are, are a limited team um so i think they'll continue to rack up wins and losses kind of 50 50 rate this is their chance while cincinnati are down to rack up the wins get that lead and probably easily win the afc north but if they're losing teams like new orleans then that'll get quite close quite quickly but like new orleans their defense isn't as good as you'd expect 
The wide receiver position is a bit of a mess. Olave is very good when he's playing, but he's had a few cushions problems. Who knows when Michael Thomas is going back. Jarvis Landry is, might be back for this game. So they're a bit weird overall. You see a lot more Taysom Hill than you want. But, like, yeah, I think New Orleans at home sometimes just win games when you don't expect them. But Baltimore are the better team, so I think they should be favoured here. Um, but I think for Baltimore, if they lose here, it'd be big setback in my opinion. Yeah, the Ravens, I mean, they should be like 8-0 and given the, the way they played this season, but they keep throwing it away. I mean, you, the fear is that the, the the Saints are a team that don't give up and the Ravens do tend to crack, it seems, under pressure in certain situations. So it would be interesting to see if, say, there's a, a Saints comeback that starts to build up if the Ravens can can deal with that because they don't seem to have the strongest uh, spine when, when push comes to shove. Yeah, so there, there, there is a route here, but it's... Uh... Yeah, like this is the thing. Like, let's just hope to see that Baltimore can actually show us that they can keep it going for a full game here and not drop a game that they should win. Well, that wraps up for those bits. Any plans for the weekend this week, lads? Uh, I believe that uh, Mike, a friend of uh, all of us, is coming down to Cork and um, we'll get to see him at some point. We He's officiating our wedding, so I think there is a discussion about how much of the Old Testament he's going to be allowed to put into the ceremony um, and, and various things like that. And I also think we have some dog training, more dog training stuff. I think there's going to be a lot of dog training in our future uh, to deal who, with the various Who points. is really being trained, you know? Like it. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I do feel sometimes that I, I am the one who's learning to, to adjust to, yeah, the dog, more the dog is learning to adjust to me. Very fun. What about yourself, Fitz? Uh, I think the rugby, the, the Ireland are playing South Africa on Saturday, so I'll probably catch that, but uh, other than that... Nothing too exciting, you know, just build, saving my energy for the big uh, Germany trip uh, the week after, of course. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that now. So I've got going to a comedy gig on Friday and then uh, got a friend of ours, Emmett's uh, engagement party on the Saturday. And then, uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a special guest presenter in on next week's, uh, next week's pod as well. I think we've yet to confirm. Uh, but I'm almost certainly not going to be around, unfortunately. So we'll have to we'll have to work on that basis, and then we'll be doing a live cast from Germany. So obviously, give us a shout if you're going to be over in Germany. We'll have a few of the guys over with us, so we might do a bit of a we, we like the old drunk cast. So we might get a maybe a, if not a full podcast, we might get like immediate reactions after several steins of beer uh, to to all the developments over there. Um, but I suppose for now uh, that'll do us. So obviously, keep in contact if you want. So for now, it's bye from myself, bye from Sean. Bye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. Well, two of you.